Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to be in God's house today. I believe that that song, Reckless Love, is one of my favorites of the new songs coming out. I just, I don't know about you, but it is beyond my imagination why God would care about us and love us. I've tried to reason it out, and uh, we try to act as good as we possibly can to merit that love, but yet at the same time, there's nothing that we could ever do to deserve the love of God. Amen. Aren't you glad that he loves you this morning? Praise God. It's an honor to be here with you and uh, to stand behind this pulpit. I appreciate uh, your pastor and... uh, uh, I just uh, think we ought to give him and his wife some honor this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's always uh, it's always a wonderful thing and a marvelous thing when God puts one of His servants over a house. I'm talking about a church, a group. And uh, because this man has to stand before God for all of you. So many times we don't think about that. And uh, we go by personality or by our feelings. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about that in a minute. But uh, we go by our feelings a lot of times. And so we may not feel that respectful to the man of God or the woman of God, but uh, it is an awesome thing when God calls a man or a woman into ministry and then puts a heart inside of them to be a pastor and places them over his people. And uh, we need to always remember that and give honor because that man stands before God and gives an account for everything that he does toward you. And so uh, remember that. Uplift them in prayer. Encourage them. And uh, just do all kinds of nice things for them. I believe in in being good to your pastor because I have been one. And uh, it's wonderful when uh, somebody just drops a card in the mail or uh, in the day that we live in sends a text or something and says, Hey, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm praying for you out of the clear blue, not because it's Pastor Appreciation Month or anything like that. And so do those kinds of things and see what kind of response uh, your pastor will give uh, to that kind of treatment. He'll be utterly shocked. You may have to pick him up off the floor, but uh, (laughs) they'll be blessed. Praise God. Well, I want to say that it's great to be with my wife and... uh, my daughter and son-in-law this morning. Uh, we don't always go in the same direction, but we are uh, all here together. I want my wife to just stand and say a word uh, to greet you this morning.
Praise God. Happy birthday, church. You may not realize it, but today is Pentecost Sunday, and that day marks the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And so that means, amen, that means that today is a day of celebration, not only for us Christians, but also for the Jewish people around the world. And uh, Pentecost is actually a Jewish festival. The Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, uh, comes 50 days or seven weeks after the Passover, and it celebrates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It is also the celebration of the end of the wheat harvest uh, there in Israel. And uh, during biblical times, and I suppose even today, it is considered a pilgrimage festival where Jewish people from miles around would come and they would spend three days in Jerusalem uh, and enjoy all of the festivities of this special day. And that's why there were people from various uh, uh, nationalities and various dialects that were there on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood and preached his famous sermon. And uh, that is why God, I believe, chose this particular time to birth his church, so that all people of all nations would witness the miracle of the church being born. Understand, this thing started in a secret place, in an upper room behind four walls by disciples, 120, that were fearful for their lives. They had just seen their master uh, not long before uh, crucified. And so, but it was never meant to stay behind four walls. Even in the beginning, that one room that they were gathered together in uh, could not contain them. And they ended up in the streets and uh, uh, witnessing and speaking in other tongues. And uh, it was witnessed globally what was taking place. So happy birthday, church. We've got something to celebrate today. Amen. And if you'll turn with me this morning to uh, the book of Acts, I'm going to begin reading in the first chapter of Acts and then go over to the second chapter of Acts. Uh, I'll begin at Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. And uh, you can follow along on the screen behind me. I'll go 1 through 8 and then verse 14 and then uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That sounds complicated, but it's really not. Just look at the screen. Praise God. When you find that, say amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Uh, 
and when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons of which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now skip down to verse 14. It says, These, talking about the disciples, all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. And then in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not some of them, not just of the preachers, but every single one of them was filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. I want to preach to you this morning from this passage of Scripture a message entitled, On the Edge of Destiny. On the edge of destiny. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, we're so thankful for your presence that has already been felt in this place. But God, now as we open your word, we ask for that special unction, that anointing that comes from heaven to rest upon this service. God, I pray that you would send that anointing in this place like you did on the day of Pentecost. God, let it not only anoint me as the speaker, but also, God, every hearer in this place, let them feel the power from on high come over them. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that Your Word would go forth. And God, that it would accomplish that which You purpose. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that You would have Your way in the altar service today. We yield ourselves to You. We lean upon You, Holy Spirit, and we look for divine direction today in the lovely name of Jesus and everyone said amen hallelujah we are creatures of feelings our feelings paint how we view ourselves and the world around us our feelings help us choose our sweethearts and our friends and if we're honest our feelings also is what motivates us to get up out of the bed every morning if we don't feel good, we stay and we pull the covers over our head. If, if we feel good, we jump to the floor and get about our business. We even are led by our feelings spiritually. We say, well, I'll sing if I feel like it. I'll raise my hands in worship if I feel like it. I'll pray and I'll read my Bible if I feel like it. In other words, I'll serve God according to how I feel. 
But understand that your feelings are not always accurate with what God is saying. It's not feelings, but what God has said. Thus saith the Word of the Lord. Too many times we have taken specific directives from God and cast them aside as being insignificant and irrelevant for the day and the need in our life at that time. Uh, hear me. If you get nothing else from this message this morning, God will not allow His Word to be taken for granted. His yeas will be yeas and His nays will be nays. If God said it, it doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter what the world is saying about it. But it is what God says. And that is the important thing. Can you say amen? The world is saying many things to us today. Many things. In fact, they're saying that there are many ways to God. The world is saying that homosexuality homosexuality is inborn. And it's natural, therefore. And so that means that gay marriage is okay. The world is saying that an unborn uh, child is just a mass of tissue uh, within its mother's uh, reproductive system. And therefore, it has no rights whatsoever to live. And that mother can make the decision to abort it uh, if she wants to. You see, uh, we are being influenced to listen to the voice of the world. But today, I want to direct the church of Jesus Christ that was born on the day of Pentecost to redirect your hearing today and to hear the sound that is coming from heaven and the voice that is speaking from the throne to us this day to hear the Word of the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, I believe God has plans for His church in this time that we're living in. He has ordained those plans right from His throne in glory. And so, all of the things that we see going on in the world today, the condition of our culture, the, the condition and the unrest, the tension that is over in the Middle East revolving around Iran, and even the fact that in the news we are constantly hearing about Russia, you see, that was foretold by Ezekiel that in the latter times, in the end times, that there would be a war and there would be alliance between Iran and Russia and other countries that would come against Israel. So we're right on the brink. We're right on the edge of destiny. We're living, I believe, on the edge of the greatest move of God that we have ever seen. I believe that we have stepped to the edge of the prophecies of God concerning the end time. I believe we have, like the children of Israel, walked through the wilderness of discouragement. And we have come through the trials of destitution. And now, there before us is an opportunity to step into a destiny, a promised land that God has waiting for us. Hallelujah. And I want you to know that we need to be a church that is alive and well. This world needs a church that is full of the power of the Holy Ghost and strong. It needs a church that can stand up in boldness and proclaim the Word of the Lord in this end time. 
A church that will not back down in this hour of great spiritual oppression and uh, false doctrine and spiritual warfare. A church that will take its stand as the glorious church without spot or wrinkle that Jesus Christ is coming back for. Today, I don't know all about your past of every one of you. I know a few of you and some of the things that you've gone through and where you've come from. But I do know this. Even though I don't know your past, I know your future if you are in Christ Jesus. I don't know where you've come from, but I know where you're going this morning. Hallelujah. I don't know what God has done for you in the past, but I know what He wants to do for you right now. Hallelujah. We are living on the edge. And I don't know about you, but I am ready to get off of the edge and to take the step into the river of God's anointing that cannot be crossed over. I'm ready to be saturated in the Spirit so that I can be used by the Spirit of God in this last day. Hallelujah. But are you ready? Are you ready? Hallelujah. If you're ready, then look at that person next to you and say, I'm ready. How about you? Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm ready to move into what God has for me. No matter what the price, no matter what the sacrifice, I want you to understand that God has a plan and that the Holy Spirit is leading the church toward that plan. But there is a certain walk that we must walk. There are certain things that must be said in this hour. There are certain deeds that must be done before we will ever get to what God has prepared for us. You hear me. God is not some super colossal. Santa Claus that sets up in heaven like a lot of these televangelists talk about that if we simply pray the right words that it puts him under obligation to bless us and to give us all kinds of riches in this world. I'm telling you God is not that kind of God but he is a sovereign but he is also a God of love and he has laid out a table before us and he said if you're hungry and if you're thirsty, then come and get it. I've prepared it. Hallelujah. But you hear me with everything that you've got from God. There are certain demands that must be met before you can attain all that He has for you. God said in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm telling you... Glory to God if we want revival in America once again. If we want the blessings to come upon ourselves and upon our family members. If we want a Holy Ghost outpouring in this day, there is a road that must be walked. There are some things that we must do. Some things that we must experience. And blessings and the power of God will come as we walk in obedience to where the Spirit of God is leading us. You hear me? There is a destiny in front of me and you today. There is a destiny for this church as well as the church in general. And that destiny 
You hear me? That destiny is greater than our past. You hear me? That destiny is greater than our past. We can go back, and some of you have been around that long, to when B.W. Johnson pastored this church, and there were miracles that took place. There were wonderful salvations and deliverance, deliverances that took place in the services. Same thing right through Gary Johnson. And now we have Michael Bedard, the third generation. And I'm telling you that even though the past was glorious, even though God moved in a wonderful way, and we can reminisce about that. I'm telling you that God has a destiny laid out for this church because we've never lived in a time like this before. God has something for Calvary Worship Center to do in this end time hour. And we may as well step up and say, God, here I am. Use me. Fulfill your will in me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The destiny, our destiny is greater than our past. Hallelujah. And if we want to receive it, then we must be willing to pick up the cross and deny ourselves and follow Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We forget about that because Jesus said to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow after Him. And we do everything but that. We worship and we'll praise God. But don't ask me to take up the cross because we know what the cross means. We understand what Jesus, the price He paid on the cross. And that's what He's saying. If you want to follow me, if you want to go into your destiny that I have prepared for you, then you've got to be willing just like me to lay down on that cross and sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've got to humble ourselves and we've got to pray. We've got to seek His face like He said. And we've got to turn from our wickedness, our wicked thinking, if we're going to see God move, if we're going to see Him heal our families, if we're going to see Him heal our land. If I don't, if you don't do that... We will never move into the destiny that God has planned for us. And that destiny was planned before the foundation of the world was laid. Nobody in the modern church likes to speak about denial and Jesus in the same breath. The modern church just likes to talk about blessing and prosperity. But whether we like it or not, there is a cross that must be carried. You hear me. If there was never going to be a burden for us to carry, then He would have never said, Cast all your care upon Me because I care for you. If there was never going to be a valley of death, then He would have never said when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. Do you catch what He's saying there? Even though it's a valley of death, it's going to be like a shadow. Hallelujah, because I'm the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. You see, if there were never going to be sicknesses and diseases that we had to face, then He would have never become the healer by taking stripes on His back. If there were never going to be bondages that we were going to have to be broken from, then He would have never become our deliverer. If there, if we could never be lost, like the world is saying now that everybody's going to be saved in the end, but I'm telling you we can be lost, then we would never 
never have needed Him to be our Savior. But church, I want you to know that He is the Savior. Glory to God, and He is the Healer. Glory to God, He is the resurrection and the life. And He is the burden bearer this morning. You hear me, church. There is a battle to fight. There is a race to run. There is a a burden to carry. There is revival fire for us to seek. Take courage. There is victory just ahead for the church that is willing to follow His appointed plan. Hallelujah. We have a destiny. We have a destiny. God has a plan for your life. In the book of Jeremiah, we read where God said to Jeremiah the prophet, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before you came forth from the womb, I sanctified, or I set you apart, and ordained thee to be a prophet to the nations. God spoke His Word over Jeremiah before he was even born. While he was forming in his mother's womb. You get that in your heart this morning. He planted a seed of destiny within him. Hallelujah. It was a part of his DNA. Because God, as he was forming him, was speaking what he would be and what he would do. Hallelujah. And do you think that he did it simply for Jeremiah? Absolutely not. Every one of you while you were forming in your mother's womb God was speaking over you His plan. Right in your DNA He has put His plan in your life. Oh, glory to God. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Hallelujah. God has planted His plan within you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I believe If we could see somehow in the Spirit, if we could see every one of us here today, I could look over you, Tanner, and I could see God's Word all over you, all over your face, your body, what God has planned for you. Same for every one of you. If we could see through spiritual eyes, His Word is there. You see, the Bible says one of the names of God is Jehovah Nissi, which is my banner. Hallelujah. That means flying over me for the enemy to see in the spirit world is the Word of God and what He has proclaimed over me. He is Jehovah Nisi, my banner. That's why the enemy hates you. That's why he fights you and tries to destroy you because the Word of God was spoken over you. It was created within you. His plan is there when you were formed. And God says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12 in the Amplified Bible, For I am actively watching over my Word to fulfill it, to perform it, to accomplish it. That means if He spoke the Word over you, that right now He is active in your life. You may be far from Him this morning. You may have messed up. You may have sinned this past week. You may have never given your life to God. But I'm telling you that right now God is working in your life. He has spoken a Word over you. He has put that plan 
in your DNA and He is watching over it to perform it, to accomplish it, to give you the opportunity to say yes to Him. Hallelujah. He has planted the seed of destiny in your heart and believe it or not, you cannot get away from it. Do you know why this world that is running from God is running so hard and so long away from Him? It's because God's Spirit is working. That Word is on the inside trying to draw them and they run and they try to satisfy the emptiness within their soul with everything that the world has to offer. But I'm telling you, it'll never satisfy because it's in their DNA what God has planned for them. Hallelujah. You think about that if you're praying for a lost loved one, a son or daughter. You keep praying. You keep believing. You keep trusting. Hallelujah. God's Word is spoken over them. Before they were ever formed, God will bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jeremiah was so ridiculed and persecuted as a prophet. The prophet said, I will not mention his name nor speak any more in his name. But then he says... His word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. But I was weary in holding it in. I couldn't hold it in any longer. In other words, age doesn't matter this morning. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. The word that God planted in you, that plan that He has for you is still there. It is still viable. You see, He used a boy named David to slay a giant, but He also used a Moses that was 80 years old to deliver his people from Egyptian bondage. He used Sarah at the age of 90 to give birth to a nation. And he used 120 frightened disciples in the upper room to start a global church. You have a destiny to fulfill. His word is over you right now. Glory to God. And also understand church We have a history. We have a future, but we also have a past. Hallelujah. And let's look for a moment at what we were as a church when we were born and understand the potential of what we can become. You hear me? It took certain spiritual things to get us to where we are today. And those things are not obsolete. But if it took us to do those things to get us where we are today, then it's going to take those things to keep us where we're at and to send us, propel us on into what God has prepared for us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, It begins there and it talks about they were assembled together. I want you to notice that word together. That word speaks of unity. Not one with their own personal agenda. Not one going here and over there and doing this and doing that. Not one staying at home and listening to a TV preacher instead of assembling themselves together. But it said they were assembled together. They came together in unity. 
I don't know about you, but when I begin to think about that, it makes me realize that something is going on there that is important for us to grasp. You see, the body of Christ is weakened by division. The body of Christ cannot function properly if it is divided. And one of the, the most detrimental things of a church that can happen to a church is for cliques and groups to form. If I don't feel comfortable talking to everybody in the church, then there's something wrong with me. I may not make it to the back to talk to those folks back there before the, when the service is over. But I should be able to walk up to them, hug their neck, and love them, and talk to them about anything. Same with anyone in this church. Because there should be no division. There should be no group that says, well, I was a follower of Gary Johnson, and that's the only reason why I'm here. Well, I'm a follower of Michael Bedard. You see, we've already read about that in the church of Corinth. And Paul put an end to it right there. And told them that that wasn't right. That each one had their part to play. But it was God that gave the increase. We're serving God. We're not serving man. We're not following a personality. But we're following God. Hallelujah. And if we are the body of Christ, the body, my body has to work together in unity for me to be able to do anything and accomplish anything. Otherwise, I'm handicapped. And so it speaks of unity. You see, God hates division. There must be a spirit of togetherness that sweeps through the church so that the Holy Ghost can move uninhibited. Think about that. If we're all dissected and we're all separated and someone is earnestly praying for the Holy Ghost to move, Well, which group does he bless? Which group does he move on? Well, it's got to be me because we're right. The other group is wrong. So, we've settled that question already. I have a feeling that the Holy Ghost says, forget them until they get their act together. I'm going someplace else. You see, there has to be that Acts 1 and 4 experience of togetherness before God will send the Acts 2, 4 outpouring of the Holy Ghost and fire and see an increase come into the church. Now looking at our past, understand that we the church are a people of promise. A people of promise. Jesus said, do not depart from Jerusalem. Notice he said, do not depart. Don't break the unity that's there between you. Don't leave behind what you have learned or what you have experienced. Do not depart from anything. Not from my teaching. Not from the place where I'm sending you. You stay right there. And this is so important that Peter, before you go and you write an epistle, or before you go and preach at Samaria, before you do anything else, you stay right there 
until I do what I plan to do and I bring you into the full destiny of power that is in store for you. You see, that's what he said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. We are people of a promise that if we'll wait, if we'll tarry, if we won't depart from unity, if we won't depart from the teachings of the Lord, if we'll stay in our prayer closet, we have a promise that God will send the power and the anointing on our life. Our history is a history of promise. And if we are to go forward into the future, we will have to stand on that same promise that ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do you realize today that statistics are showing that the Pentecostal movement is one generation away from losing the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. One generation away from it. Already major Pentecostal denominations are denying that you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They're even saying there is no reason why anyone should ever speak in tongues in a corporate worship service. I don't know about you, but I wasn't raised that way. I just believe what the Apostle Paul said. He said, forbid not to speak with tongues. That means when I'm worshiping God, I will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. I'll worship Him in an unknown tongue. I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of saintly women and men sing in tongues, in an unknown tongue. And it blessed the entire congregation as the Spirit of God swept over and people were saved and delivered and healed. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Deny not the tongues. Hallelujah. We've got to realize that we're one generation away from it. But Jesus said, ye shall receive power. That word power is a Greek word, dunamis, from which we get our word dynamo. I know you've heard this before. This word power doesn't mean shouting and dancing and shaking in the Spirit like we think it is. And we classify that as powerful Pentecost. But I'll tell you, I've seen some people dance and do a jig up at the front of the church and be the pure devil by the time they got out the back door. We Pentecostals can be vicious. You can say amen to that. But you see, that's not what this power is all about. But understand what Jesus was saying is when you receive the Holy Ghost, you're going to have a dynamo implanted in you. Glory to God. A dynamo of power that produces a continual flow of the power of God in your life. In other words, it is power in action. It is His power in my walk. It's His power in my talk. It's His power in my prayer life. It's power in action. And it's not just action between the pews. I'm telling you, it's action when I'm on my job. It's power, hallelujah, while I'm going about my business in town. 
people are going to see that you're different. Glory to God. I'm telling you, that was the reputation of Pentecostals back in the old time days. That was one thing they would make fun of us. They said we were from the wrong side of the tracks, but they couldn't touch the fact that we lived godly lives. God help us to get back to that place once again where we have power in action. Glory to God. We have a history of promised power. Now in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 it says, And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. That's the second thing I want to bring out right there about our past. We, are, we have a past of prayer. Our past is filled with people that knew how to get a hold of God. It was prayer that brought revival to the upper room. They were gathered there for ten days in prayer, waiting and seeking the Lord. It was prayer that brought revival to Azusa Street in the early 1900s. It was prayer that brought revival before Azusa Street over in Wales at the beginning of the 20th century. And let me just insert here, if you don't know about that, it was led by a man named Evan Roberts. And that man for 11 years sought the Lord. He knew there was something more. And finally he had his own personal Pentecost. But he would speak in low, even tones. Not like me screaming and turning red. But he would just speak and the power of God would fall. There were so many saved in Wales at that time. You can read it. It is recorded history. You can even read it on Wikipedia. But it was so powerful of a move of God that it emptied the saloons. It emptied the jailhouses of Wales. And during that same time period, the rugby team of Wales was number one. And it had emptied the sports arena so much because people would rather go to the house of God and get what God had than to see somebody carry a ball over a goal line. That that the crowds were small. God help us in America if that happened. We wouldn't have to worry if they knelt or stood at the, the national anthem. You hear me? It was prayer that will, it is prayer that will set this world on fire with Pentecostal revival. If people had to pray 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, 40, 100 years ago, and even longer. Don't, don't you think that that means that we've got to pray too? Do you think we can get by without praying and just get up and jump around uh, when the Spirit of God moves out on a, one of those rare Sunday mornings? And that's a move of God? And that's enough? It's time we got back to our prayer closet. It's time we came early to church. And bathe the altars with our tears and our prayers. Hallelujah. I don't know if you can remember it or not. We had two rooms on the side of our platform when I was growing up. The men gathered in one side and the women in the other. And you'd walk in the back and you would think that they were killing one another back there. They were screaming and hollering and speaking in tongues. And then when the service started and the piano player would start playing, and they would start coming out of the prayer rooms. And I'm telling you, some of those sisters never made it down the steps of the platform before they started shouting and dancing. 
dancing. Men started running the aisles. People were slain in the Spirit. You talk about Holy Ghost pandemonium. We had it almost every Sunday night because we gathered in the prayer room and we believed God would move and meet with us if we did that. Instead, we don't see any point in going on Sunday nights. Our churches are closing their doors on Sunday nights because there's nothing to go see. There's nothing to be a part of. We need to get here early. We need to realize that this, come, this thing comes about with prayer. You see, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, I want you to notice what it says. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Get that. Ten days they had been in the same place. For ten days they had stayed and they had prayed. First day they prayed and nothing happened. Second day they prayed, nothing happened. Third day, nothing happened. Fourth day they prayed, nothing happened. Fifth day they prayed and nothing happened. Why did they stay? You see, that's the third element that I want to bring out of our history. They were committed. They were committed. They stayed where Jesus told them to stay until they got what Jesus said they would get. And our Pentecostal past is filled with committed people. If we are going to proceed into the destiny that God has before us individually and as a church, we are going to have to be committed to what God has said and not what we feel. And we've got to hold on to it and not be shook loose. Probably there have been times in your past when you felt like giving up. Time, and there's going to be times in your future that you're going to feel like that your destiny is never going to come. And you'll throw up your hands and you may want to say, what's the use? But if your destiny is directed by the Holy Ghost, then there must be a commitment to what God has commanded you to do. There must be a commitment to the cross of Christ. I will never let go of what I believe. I will never let go of the promise that God has given me. You hear me. It's not time to give up. It's not time to give in. It's not time to give out. It's not time to give over. It's time to say like Abraham, I am bound for a city whose builder and maker is God and I won't quit. I may not find it before I part from this earth, but I'm going to keep on searching and I'm going to keep on looking and I'm going to keep on believing. And I'm going to keep on holding on. The sixth day came and they prayed and nothing happened. Seventh day, same thing. They prayed and nothing happened. About that time, I know that the devil was working because he always does. And he probably started whispering in some of their ears, what are you doing here? You have a life to live. You have business to take care of. You got a family to provide for. You have places to go. Forget this stuff. You've been righteous and pious long enough. Go on and get about your business. Get up out of here. Nothing's going to happen. And I can just hear them saying at that same time, something welling up on the inside saying to the devil, 
You don't understand. I have a word from the Lord. And that word was stay. Hallelujah. Stay until you get what the Lord has promised. Stay until heaven comes down. Stay, hallelujah, with commitment and see the fullness of what God has in store for you. The eighth day came and nothing happened. The ninth day came. Nothing happened. But oh, hallelujah, on the tenth day, the promise was already leaving the portals of glory. They were committed to tarry in that room. And, and they had a word from the Lord that they were committed to and would not let go of. And they kept their part of the deal. And on the tenth day, the Lord came through and kept His. You hear me. You may run from here to Dallas, to every mega church that's up there in the Metroplex, to every TV evangelist that's over there in those studios, and try to seek a word from the Lord. You may run over and get a word from Copeland, or you may want one from T.D. Jakes or whatever your favorite preacher is. But I'm telling you, you don't need a word from one of those preachers. What we need today is a word from the Lord. And when we get that word, we need to stay with it. We need to hold on to it until the power comes. Glory to God. In Acts chapter 2, verse, verses 14 through 36, they had a promise. They had a prayer. They had a commitment, and that produced a dunamis or a dynamo, and that dunamis produced action in their life. Peter the big mouth. Peter who was committed only with words. Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. Peter that cursed and denied the Lord when the, t when the going got tough. That same Peter along with those others that were gathered there when the power came. They came out of hiding in that upper room. They staggered under the heavy anointing of the Holy Ghost into the streets of Jerusalem, speaking in tongues and glorifying God. And when the power came, Peter quit being a talker and became a doer. Hallelujah. He stood like a Pentecostal preacher throughout his chest and waited for the power of God to fill his mouth. And he preached to the crowd. Hallelujah. A few days before, that same crowd, he was afraid of them. But this is what he said. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the latter days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Hallelujah. Not one person was left out, young or old. God was going to pour out His Spirit on everybody. Peter made that plain. Get ready. It's coming. It doesn't matter where you've been. Hallelujah. This is where you're going in the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. They became men and women of action. And that's the fourth element that I want to bring about and talk to you about our past. Men and women of action. And if the destiny of this present church 
is going to outshine the past. We are going to have to get off of our pew and get on our knees and get full of the Holy Ghost once again. And hallelujah, the Holy Ghost will put the stand in your legs. Hallelujah. It'll put the action in your walk. Hallelujah. It'll put the voice in your mouth. Hallelujah. It'll put the wisdom in your brain so that you'll know how to win the world for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers. They didn't get full of the Holy Ghost and say, Well, we've arrived. We're the spiritual elite. We deserve to be on the church board now. And I think that Sunday school class over there, that's a pretty big class. I ought to teach that. No, they continued in prayer. Hallelujah. They continued in fellowship. Being of service one to another. Loving one another. Honoring one another. They were steadfast, unmovable, in their stand on the original teachings of Christ and the apostles. So they were committed to the Word of God. Didn't worry about what this church or that church was preaching, this new doctrine that's coming around. They weren't looking for gold dust to be sprinkled on them while they were in heavy worship. I'm sorry. <laughs> they weren't saying, well, look at that gemstone over there. God gave that to us. Look at that gemstone. They were looking for somebody that was lost to share the Word of God for. Hallelujah. They were steadfast in their fellowship and their commitment of unity with one another. We're going to keep on breaking bread, even though there's 3,000 of us today. And oh, by the way, there were just 5,000 more added, but we're still going to break bread with one another. So we might have to meet in your backyard instead of in your house. You see what I'm saying? There was fellowship. They were steadfast in their commitment to prayer. They prayed until they touched God. If you don't believe it, you read what happened when Peter and John were threatened by the Sanhedrin. They went back and told them, hey, they told us we can't preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus or bad things are going to happen. Death is going to come. And what did they do? They prayed. They just prayed. You see... They were committed to prayer. They knew God had the answer. They didn't. They were unimportant. They were insignificant people in in the Roman Empire and in, in Judaism. But God had the answer. He shook that place till He shook it into them. The boldness of the Holy Ghost to stand right up in the face of death and proclaim Jesus Christ. God, shake us. God, shake us. On this Pentecost Sunday, God, shake us till we get it through our thick skin and right down into the tender place of our heart. 
who we are and what you have in store for us. Hallelujah. You see, they built each other up with the promise of, promises of God. When persecution came, they reminded each other of what Jesus said, that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When they were in need, they remembered and they reminded one another that Jesus said, if ye abide in me and my word abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done. Hallelujah. God has no room for quitters. We must be steadfast and promote steadfastness between one another. Anybody can stand when everything's good, but only a real man and woman of God can stand when the fires of trial are burning all around you. You see, you don't quit, you don't give up, you don't look back, because somebody before you had it just that much harder. And they stood their ground so that you could know the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Steadfastness. You see, these are five great elements of our past. In closing, I want to tell you, I don't believe, though, that our history is the greatest thing that will ever be accomplished by the church because God has never been greater than He is right now today. The opportunity has never been as reachable to win the world for Christ than it has been right now. We can know instantly what's going on on the other side of the world. We can speak and instantly on the other side of the world they can hear us. The Holy Ghost has never been more active than He is right now in the world today. Holy Ghost revival is as close as it's ever been. And God is a God of progress. He's not a God of digress. He moves forward. He never moves backward. He is always greater. He is never weaker. And God has a future for us because of the times that we live in. This thing is winding down. And there is a harvest that God wants us to reach. And it's up to us to determine, will I be one of those that will be full of the Holy Ghost? Will I be a man or a woman of God in action? Hallelujah. It's up to you to choose. You can go ahead and do what you're doing and be satisfied with status quo and live godly enough to, you, to where you can keep your name written in the Lamb's book of life. But I'll tell you what, when you stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat Judgment, you will hang your head in shame because He'll say, this is what I had planned for you and this is the little thing that you actually did. You may be saved, but it will be with disgrace. And I'm telling you this morning, I don't know about you, but when I stand before Him, I want to lay down sheaves at His feet and say, God, I was busy. I did everything that I could do. I think I might have been able to do more. But He'll look at me and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruin.